Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So in the early part of the 20th century, there was a group of people who got together. They were Christian leaders from Europe and Christian leaders from America. They decided, for some odd reason, that the church, well, they noted, first of all, that the church in America was not doing well and the church in Europe wasn't doing well. And so these Christian leaders basically got together in groups and academic settings and talked for a long time and decided that Christianity was no longer relevant the way they were preaching it and the way they were doing it. The problem was our world was a scientific, rationalistic world, and they came to the conclusion that uh, our world would never put up with uh, any kind of supernatural, miracle type of talk. And so what they did was they decided among this group of people that they were going to work on kind of de-supernaturalizing Christianity. And so they did. And they were having a hard time explaining things in the Bible to people like, how do you explain when Jesus says uh, Satan fell from the sky like lightning when his disciples go out and they come back from a, a ministry trip? And how do you say, uh, how do you explain the miracles, the, the multiplying of loaves and fishes and bread and all those types of things? And how do you, how do you, how do you explain those things? I mean, it's just, it's hard to explain in a rationalistic world. And so they decided to de-supernaturalize things. So they, they de-supernaturalized Christianity and, and it had, cause they had a hard time explaining these things. And the, the problem with that is they didn't know what to do with Jesus claiming to be God either, because Jesus claimed to be God all throughout the Bible. And an honest reading of Jesus in the Bible leaves you with really two rational options. Either Jesus is God and all the supernatural things are true or Jesus is deluded and he's simply just gone batty. He's gone crazy. You can't say Jesus is one among many. It doesn't just, it just doesn't work that way. He claims to be God. His supernatural power and activity indicates he has God kind of power, doesn't it? And to write one of the greatest theologians of our day says it this way. He says, how can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human that the fire has become flesh, that the life, the capital L itself, has walked into our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is the devastating disclosure of the deepest reality in the world or it is a sham and nonsense. Most people, unable to cope with saying either of those things, he says, are condemned to live in the shallow world in between. So as these thinkers in the early part of the 20th century began to de-spiritualize Christianity, they made miracles into metaphors. And Jesus became just another great teacher. Instead of becoming Christian, being about encountering and completely surrendering your life to a living God, Christianity became increasingly a nice set of beliefs and morals. Instead of resurrection, Jesus instead was this a dead person who legend and, and mysteries and inspiring symbols developed around him. Instead of the scriptures being fully reliable as God's word to us, the scriptures became for everyone in the church who believed this a compendium of writings, some of which were good, 
um, some of which are bad, and much of which are patriarchal and barbaric oppression. In other words, if you take the supernatural out of Christianity, it just doesn't change it just a little bit. It completely butchers Christianity, making a totally different religion that is weak. It's, it's like watered-down coffee that has no taste and no caffeine, right? I mean, what's the purpose of that? Here's the great irony. All the seminaries and church movements who adopted this kind of despiritualization of Christianity have been since then and continue to be in free-fall decline all around the world. And yet, around the same time, as those great intellectuals were deciding to despiritualize Christianity, a small little movement began in an unknown Bible school in Topeka, Kansas, led by Charles Parham. And a woman named Agus Osman encountered the Holy Spirit in a powerful way, and news began to spread, and eventually causing Parham to decide to move to Texas and start another Bible school so he could reach more people and teach more people about the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was there in Texas that a poor, uneducated black man named William Seymour heard what was going on, and he wanted to learn about the Holy Spirit. Problem was, Parham was a man who loved God, but he was also blindly caught and ignorantly caught in the evil of racist thinking. Seymour persisted, and because he persisted, Parham allowed him uh, to listen into the teachings of the Holy Spirit that he was giving, oftentimes only outside the building through an open window. Shortly after, Seymour moved to L.A., where in 1906, in a little building on Azusa Street, the God Spirit began to move and do amazing things. And the Pentecostal movement was birthed, and many years later, out of that, the charismatic movements, and they went worldwide, touching every segment of society on every continent. Azusa Street in that day of segregation was full of white and black and Hispanic and Asian and Indian and every ethnic group and every socioeconomic group together encountering God. And today... From that time till today, one in seven people in the entire world who are Christians believe and practice the charisma, the gifts that we are talking about today and last week, where God gives us gifts that are beyond our abilities. And these kind of Christians are the fastest growing segment of Christians worldwide. In fact, in many of those denominations that chose to despiritualize, the only part of those denominations that are growing are the ones who are still in them who believe in the gifts that we're talking about today. For your own sake of knowing that God is real, that God is powerful, that God is with you, learning to live in what we are talking about today is important. For the sake of Christ's mission in this earth, what we are talking about today is one critical element. So last week we talked about why we struggle with these gifts. Today I want to spend time just defining them and illustrating them. So let's jump into the text, 1 Corinthians 12. We read it last week. We'll read it again just to get, it, to get, our, get our footing today. Uh, to one there is given the, through the Spirit a message of wisdom. And in Christian circles we call that the word of wisdom a lot of times. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, or a word of knowledge. To another, faith by the same Spirit, the gift of faith. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit, we call that the gift of healing. To another, miraculous powers, gift of miracles. To another, prophecy, the gift of prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, the gift of discerning spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, interpretation of tongues, the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Now, these gifts are beyond our design. 
They are given to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, some people like to preach even through this list of gifts in 1 Corinthians and try to despiritualize them to a degree saying, well, you know, God just makes us wise and gives some people wisdom and they make good decisions. And some people are gifted to accumulate knowledge and they make really good teachers. And that's how they preach about this passage. Yes, God does give us those gifts. That is, that is completely true. But that's not what this text is talking about. This text is talking, it says, the message of wisdom. It's talking about us speaking God's wisdom, and it says, by means of God's Spirit. It's not wisdom that is somehow resident in us. It comes from God. Now, before we jump into defining and illustrating these gifts, uh, let me just give one caveat. These definitions and categories aren't neat and clean. I mean, these categories are just designed to help us talk about experience. And isn't it true when we talk about various types of experience, we'll try to find labels to describe it, but those labels, those categories are always not fully sufficient, not fully neat and clean. They always fall short. But but those when we create categories and talking about things, they are nonetheless helpful in spurring thought and discussion and learning. So so what's the purpose of these spiritual gifts are any, any kind of category. It's not to neatly bunch everything and define everything clearly with no overlap. It's, it's to give us the framework to talk about something. And the something we are talking about today is simply this. It can be captured in one phrase. It's how does God communicate through me and demonstrate his power through me so others know God is real? I guess that's three phrases. Sorry, I flunked grammar. See, this is why I can say my cessationist friends still often operate in these gifts, and they do, because they believe that God still speaks to them, and God wants to empower them to be effective in ministering to others, and they experience these gifts even though they don't label them necessarily the same way we do. All we're trying to accomplish today is using categories that Paul uses to try to communicate how God's Spirit communicates to us for others and how God's Spirit wants to work with divine power through us to others. So as we get into illustrating these, if, 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 if you try to make these categories completely neat and clean, you're going you're gonna to get frustrated because some of the illustrations you'll feel like, well, is that a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a word of prophecy? What is it? It could be all three. How do I? Just don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on that. Just personalize the biblical and, and stories and even the thoughts and memories that come to mind for you and soak up how God might want to work through you to bless someone else. See, one of my goals in this whole series is to spur each and every one of us to an increased awareness of how God wants to and is already working through us so that we can grow in conscious awareness and confidence and responsiveness to what God's Spirit is wanting to do through us even more. So these gifts are the, 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 that we're going to talk about and illustrate today. The, they're on the screen. Unfortunately, most of the illustrations I'm going to give you today are related to my life. I don't like talking about all of them from my life. Uh, they regularly occur in ministry, and they regularly occur through many of you. The problem is I, I didn't have enough time to find enough stories that don't have too much personal, private stuff attached to them to be able to share today, so I can give myself permission to share my own stories much easier than I get them from somebody else. So you get to hear my stories today. Now, we have to cover a lot, so let's jump on in. 
So word of wisdom is knowing how to navigate a difficult decision, situation, or relationship in a way that clearly has a divine imprint on it. There are many decisions in life that have relational consequences, business consequences that can be really good and they can also have really bad outcomes, right? Where there may be no really good clear-cut way to go about them. I mean, in a relationship, sometimes you wonder, do I confront or do I not? Do I ask certain questions or do I not? Uh, Which of a dozen possible ways that we could go with this decision is really the one that's going to lead to the best, greatest blessing in the end? You see, sometimes one decision might result in ease and profit, but in the process you sacrifice your calling and reap consequences that are painful. You might choose one path in business and you'll get lots of money, but it might rip your family apart. How do you know what to do in some of those times? A word of wisdom is also a gift that God gives, I think, to many inventors and to many entrepreneurs to figure out things and to see opportunities that somebody else might not see. There are so many illustrations of this in the Bible. Uh, When David is fleeing from Saul, this is just one of them, uh, Saul was jealous of him and unjustly labeling David an outlaw and trying to kill him. And one day while pursuing David, Saul needs to relieve himself, so he finds a cave to get some privacy. And unbeknownst to him, David and his men are hiding in the cave. And Saul walks to within a few feet of David and while he's leaving a deposit, the men in around David's right and left are whispering very quietly in his ear saying, God has given you this moment to kill the one who is evil, the one who is coming against you for you to become king as God has promised you. That sounds like good advice, right? I mean, it could be. Saul was evil. He was a murderer. It says he is possessed by an evil spirit. David had only done good to Saul, and yet Saul was trying to kill him. The prophet of God had already anointed David and said he was going to become king someday in Saul's place. But God gave David a word of wisdom. Honor Saul, and in so doing you honor God, and let God be the one who elevates you to king, not yourself. A word of wisdom. But it actually didn't stop there in that instance. David got, I think, another word of wisdom that we don't always see in that text. As Saul uh, gets up and pulls up his drawers and walks out of the cave, David actually chooses to follow him. Follow the one who is trying to kill him out of the cave. That's taking a huge risk, right? Saul and all of Saul's mighty men are right there outside the cave, just a few feet away. Why didn't David just stay put? It was safer. Saul would have never known. But God wanted to say something and do something to show David's honor in the face of Saul's treachery. Though the text doesn't say it, I suspect that many years later when David actually did become king, that those generals and colonels and captains and privates who were there with Saul that day remembered that day and it helped them trust David. See, sometimes a word of wisdom actually takes you and makes you do something that you wouldn't naturally do, like David walking out of the cave after Saul exposing himself to great risk. So I was working with a church one time in the Northwest, and they'd been through a really tremendously difficult time. And I, I did a paper assessment with them before I ever did, went there and did anything with them. And the whole congregation in that paper assessment basically described and showed that there was this really deep divide and tremendous hurt because of a lot of gossip that had gone on. People were hurt and fearful, but they, they weren't talking directly to one another and they were creating more hurt through their gossip. 
As I was heading into my first group meeting with about 40 to 50 of the leaders of the church, my normal process would have been just to help them go through and answer a bunch of questions and bring the issue out on the table themselves and talk about it themselves. I mean, it's always easier to let people confront themselves than for you to confront them, right? Especially when you don't know them very well. In this instance, though, I felt really strongly like the Lord was impressing me to, 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 to start differently, that, that he was saying I needed to just directly stand up, first thing I said, directly stand up, call this out as a sin, and invite the group to repentance and reconciliation. And that, normally that approach is a great way to just make everybody mad at you. But it was a word of wisdom. In other words, meaning the authority of God's Spirit Himself, His presence was behind it, and it worked. And people responded, and so much good healing took place. See, words of wisdom are so often needed even when we deal with uh, difficult relationships, or we need them so often as parents in our parenting, don't we? How many of you have been given in the past a gift of wisdom where you just felt like God gave you something that you just wouldn't have been smart enough to figure out on your own? So word of knowledge, it's the next one, is when God speaks to you about someone or a situation and gives you knowledge you couldn't have had but for God revealing it. In the book of Acts, the church is so powerfully touched by God that the people were being outrageously generous. They were selling land and possessions and giving all the money to the church to be used to minister to the poor and to see more people come to faith in Jesus. And one day... This guy named Ananias walks into the room with Peter and hands Peter a bunch of cash and says, here, I I just sold all that I have and I'm giving it all to the church. Now, truth be told, Ananias had sold all that he had, but he'd kept back a large portion of it for himself, something that he was completely free to do. But he wanted the spiritual recognition of being viewed as the one who had given up everything, so he lied to Peter and the Holy Spirit, wanting to get them to think he gave it all. And God gave Peter a word of knowledge about what was actually going on, and because God wanted to protect the integrity and awesome generosity of the people responding to him, he actually struck an Ananias dead right there on the spot. And awe of the holiness and goodness of God came over the whole church and many, many good works were done and many, many people came to faith. This comes in more tame ways too. People don't always get killed. When I first came here 10 years ago, the first or second week in town, there was a vineyard conference up at VCDC in, in Sunbury. I was running late, so I slipped into the back of the auditorium and sat in the back by myself. No one knew even who, that I existed or who I was uh, other than three Quest people who were actually on the opposite side of the auditorium sitting in the middle of a, a section over there. During the prayer time at the end, I later found out the guy's name was Rob Morgan, now the pastor of Vineyard Delaware City. I went up to talk with the people who were leading the ministry time, and then Rob sat back down again. I, I didn't know what, who he was at the time, but I just remember this whole thing because it was kind of odd. It stuck out to me. Then about five minutes later, Rob came back up and, and they gave him the mic. And Rob said, God gave me a, a word of knowledge that there is a brand new vineyard pastor here tonight who just started in the last week or two. And God wants you to know he's in this decision and he's with you and we'd like to pray for you. I later found out The reason Rob had to go up and then sit down again is because when he came up, he talked to Danny Meyer, the Vineyard Area Overseer, and to Craig Heselton, uh, Vineyard Columbus, who were leading the ministry time, and they looked at him and said, there aren't any new vineyard pastors here. We would know that, so go sit down. You're probably not hearing God right. But he sat down, and God stopped saying, no, you got to say this. And I was there. 
It was encouraging. There's something so encouraging and powerful in a word of knowledge because it tells you that God knows something that nobody else knows or this person doesn't know and He's for you. He's with you. That is such a powerful experience and gift of God. The gift of faith is the Holy Spirit giving you an ability to believe something far beyond normal that is not yet a reality. I think we see this gift of faith a number of times in Acts and Paul's life facing difficulty and persecution. I mean, you see Paul as a prisoner for his faith being transported to Rome and and they're about to get in a shipwreck and they know they're going to be shipwrecked and Paul has this faith from God that all of the crew and him are going to be just fine. No one's going to die. Has there ever been a time in your life where you were filled with a calm, faith-filled in the midst of extreme stress and the unknown where you just knew that you knew that you knew. God has it. That's the gift of faith. The gift of healing is when God's Spirit works through you to bring miraculous healing to another person. There are so many miracles of this type in the New Testament Acts. I'm not even going to bother to illustrate that. We've seen a number of people prayed for here by the children, by other people, and we see pain leave right away. We've seen people healed. Years ago, I saw a young man healed of a brain tumor who wasn't even a follower of Jesus. He came to faith in Jesus. His whole family came to faith in Jesus. But this is one of those awesome areas and also one of those more frustrating areas, this gift of healing. Because I've also seen churches that pray for healing regularly, see it happen regularly, and yet in those churches, even with people fasting and praying a lot, I've seen people still die. And disease or, or people continue with disease or they continue to suffer with a malady for the rest of their life. But this is what I know. God still heals and it's still a really good gift. The most comforting thing about that tension of healed and not healed is that Jesus is up front with us. Jesus tells us that we can anticipate life being full of difficulty, of pain, of war, of death in this life. Jesus isn't trying to overpromise or oversell, setting us up for disappointment without letting us know the reality of what life is going to be like. But Jesus also says his kingdom is breaking in and we will receive a gift of healing and it's something we should pray for, we should pursue and we should believe and trust God in and eagerly look forward to and lean towards that side rather than leaning towards the side of, I don't know if he's going to heal. He's inviting us to lean in and press in. See, the gift of miracles is the next gift. It's God's power to do something supernatural in nature, like Jesus multiplying the loaves and fish or, or calming the storm. Or in the Old Testament, Elijah stays with this widow and, and, and the flour and oil in a, in a famine is miraculously uh, replenished during that famine until it ends. Sometimes the stories that I think we tend to tell about miracles today are things like my story a few weeks ago when I was sure I was going to run out of gas and I, and I made it. But, but those, you know, those may be God and, and maybe they can just be explained by natural things. Whether, whether it's, honestly, for the out of gas thing, whether it's a miracle or not, I'm still really grateful to God that I didn't have to walk that day. The only time, one of the only times in my life that I'm absolutely certain 
I experienced the gift of miracles. I was actually working on the farm many years ago. My boss, Randy, he had inherited the family farm at the age of 19 due to an untimely death of his dad just a couple years before this. It was a desperate time, a desperate time. Farming was really difficult during that time. He was a 19-year-old, now 21-year-old, trying to figure it out. His farm was teetering on the edge of making it or going bankrupt. It was the, it was the very end of the spring planting season, and I was preparing the fields to be planted with this 32-foot chisel plow, and I hit this uh, hidden wet spot in a depression, and I buried the back four wheels four feet deep in the ground. And it, was, and it was at such an angle that I couldn't get the plow lifted out of the ground, so the plow was still stuck in the ground. It was, we looked at it, and we go, this is hopelessly stuck. The only way we're going to get this out is to get one, possibly two, heavy-duty four-wheel drive tractors to come and yank on us and pull us out. And that was impossible for us to get before the rain, which was forecast, would start again in the next 24 hours or so. And my boss needed that tractor because his plan, he'd been sleeping while I was getting stuff, because his plan was to be up all night to finish planting the last 100 acres before it rained because if he didn't go those 100 acres planted, he stood the very real risk of losing the farm that year by not having enough money to pay for things. We prayed, and then we went and got old Bertha. Bertha was his brush hog lawn mowing tractor that looked a lot like a baby next to the tractor. I got stuck. We prayed again. We prayed for a miracle. I remember sitting down in the cabin just feeling this thick sense of God's presence. Bertha pulled and the tractor popped right out of its hole and the farm survived. Everything got planted. It was an impossible situation that God resolved. The next gift is the gift of prophecy. That's God speaking through you to others to communicate encouragement, invitation to follow God in His ways, or in some way to build others up. As I mentioned last week, we tend to think of this word prophecy and we think we isolate it to predicting the future. I think that's actually a very minor portion of this gift. I think this gift expresses itself most of the time in the Bible and even in our own circumstances where God speaks to us in ways that we know He's real, in ways of giving us encouragement, in ways of giving us direction for our life in the moment, in the present, and affirming gifts and calling and purpose that he has for our lives. Uh, One of my most profound experiences with prophecy was in 1996, a guy named Cheon prayed over me, and God gave me a word of prophecy that actually included every aspect of prophecy, this present encouragement, even some present correction to my impatience in life. It involved affirming the calling and gifts God had given me in my life. It actually spoke to the future. I won't give you the whole thing, but in that word, God spoke to me that I would continue to work in a second chair position for some time, but that God was preparing for me my own vineyard for me someday to walk into the prophecy went on to speak of other gifts and calling and things he wanted to do. And and Wendy was there at the same time. It was one of the most profound, powerful God encounters we've ever had in our whole life. And it was true. I would go on to work in a second chair position for another 15 years before I became the senior leader here at Quest. And then in 2008, during a season of prayer, asking God, what's up, what's going on, where do you want to go with my life? God highlighted this prophetic word to me and said, I don't just mean metaphorically preparing your own vineyard. Now, you could take that just as a pure metaphor, right? But he said, I mean the vineyard movement of churches. And that was shortly after God gave me the dream I referenced a couple weeks ago about Ohio. 
prophetic words give us an anchor of hope and a focus in our lives regarding who we are, how we're to follow God, and how God is with us. And, and they often take time, sometimes years, sometimes decades, to be fully understood and realized. Prophecy is God speaking through us to encourage other people to shape and build up other people. Next, just the mention of the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues brings huge discomfort, even panic and fear to some people's hearts. And yet here it is in the Bible. It's in the text. Listed as a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says all of God's gifts are good. Tongues is a gift of the Spirit giving you a language. Sometimes people talk about it as a prayer language that you didn't learn that either that is either a human or angelic language or the gift of interpretation is the, the, the ability to understand somebody else's gift of tongues and, and interpret that so people understand it. And I know that sounds weird, right? Sounds really weird. But the way Scripture talks about it is it is a gift of God's Spirit praying through us, especially when we don't know the best way to pray. And what better person to have pray through you and pray with you than the Holy Spirit when you don't know what to pray or how to pray? Now, where tongues ends up getting weird in, in the practice is when people begin to treat it as some sort of sign of superior, superior Holy Spirit power and, 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 and being a superior Christian. That is just a completely wrong, sinful attitude. Let's just call it what it is. We also get in trouble with tongues when we treat it like the Corinthians did. They were practicing it prominently in large group settings in front of a lot of people in, that included a lot of people who were not yet followers of Jesus or brand new to the faith and they didn't understand it and they just thought it's just weird and it is weird. And Paul corrects that. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul makes a really strong case about that the tongues should rarely happen in public settings where people who won't understand it are present. And yet Paul also in that same chapter reemphasizes the gift of tongues is good. In 1 Corinthians 14 he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager, be zealous to prophesy, but do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So regardless of your reaction to this gift of tongues, I would simply encourage you, don't let your past, don't let your experiences, don't let what you've seen other people do color what you think. Just encourage you to allow Scripture to guide your thoughts and your feelings around this gift. So the final gift in our text is the gift of discerning of spirits. The gift of discerning of spirits is knowing when the Spirit of God, the devil, or simply the spirit of a person is behind something that is taking place. Often accompanying that is a gift of wisdom so you know how to respond to that situation. We see this gift many times in Jesus as, as, as people who appeared to everyone else as genuine godly seekers and godly men of God came to Jesus trying to trick him and undermine him and Jesus discerned that ill intent. We see it in Acts 8 when Peter discerns that Simon, this former sorcerer who had come to faith in Jesus, is really just still driven by the need for power and influence of people instead of humble submission to God in his pursuit of the Holy Spirit. So I was talking with Ken Squires about this topic this past week. Please, please welcome Ken as he joins me on the stage, would you? <laughs> uh, 
as he's coming, let me give you a little background. Ken and Judy served for many years in an inner city church here in Columbus uh, whose main focus was to reach everyone that no other church wanted. They had dozens of homeless people and addicts and prostitutes and other people who they developed friendships with and they would care for and minister to all throughout the week. As Ken was going through the School of Kingdom ministry last year, he made a comment. He realized many of the gifts that we've talked about today, God had worked through him in the past. He just didn't always fully recognize it particularly the gift of discerning of spirits and the gift of wisdom. So, Ken, I wanted you to tell us the story, tell us the story you told me about the young man the day in the back that you, that you did something you just never would do. Well, our meeting started uh, at 7 o'clock. People would begin to assemble out on the sidewalk. And I always spent time out there meeting the folks, make sure we didn't have uh, somebody overly drunk or uh, coming in with... A bad attitude. Anyhow, this particular night at 7.30, I went on front and uh, called the group to order. And over on the side, there was a group of four and the uh, one young white fellow, blonde hair, attractively looking. I mean, very sharp guy. Uh, he just couldn't seem to unwind or just sit down. And it was amazing. I just, inside there was just this so strong an urge. That person has to leave. And so never in my life, had, you know, up to that time, probably 16, 17 years, had I ever thrown anybody out without a cause. And I pointed at the young man and I said, you're not going to be here tonight. You're leaving. And he gave this look like you got to be kidding me. I said, now, you're leaving, out. And he did. He left. The night unrolled. The praise and worship was beautiful. Uh, the message that night. There was somebody there that needed that message. And I'm afraid this young fella was in the mood to disrupt. And God's plan was that one person is going to hear a message tonight that they didn't know the story. So, so you know, discerning. Of, so basically, the discernment was the spirit, the spirit of the man, or, or an evil spirit. It doesn't matter really which it was. It, it, it was undermining, distracting, not not controllable, and, and you did something that was completely out of your norm. Asked the guy to leave, which protected a, a beautiful night of ministry. Can you also? You also uh, had a time that you recognized God's spirit at work in someone and uh, who everybody else wanted to give up on. And you, you actually said to me, there was just something inside me that compelled me that I always, it just always had to be there for him. I couldn't let him go. I just always had to, had to be there. Tell us about Mark. Well, first off, I have to give honor to Becky White. Uh, I don't usually do ministry with a camera, so... She happens to have a couple photos that we'll be watching. Um, that gentleman on the left is Mark. The gentleman on the right is my old pastor down there, Pastor Steve. Uh, what we did when Mark came into our lives down there, and I'm sure Becky and Stu and probably Dennis remember them, he was a chronic alcoholic, had been since teenager, he's a young 50s. Um, 30 years plus of alcoholism 
I mean, it just destroys you mentally, physically. And he was a pain. Uh, he would never created a problem, just constant asking questions. And at night, you'd get finished. You'd have a evening of ministry, and you're tired. And the last thing you do is close the doors out front, and here's Mark. Uh, Ken, I got a question for you. you know, and it would take 20, 30 minutes to get through whatever it was he um, had thought of to hold you up, I think. And that went on for five or six years. I mean, man slept outside. He was he was homeless in all sorts of ways. Um, so, when we left there several years ago, uh, Mark was still outside. Uh, the new group that took over, now the Columbus Dream Center, instead of Bedaway, uh, all, lots of young people, some of which are real new to the Lord, some of which uh, probably their grandfather and their father were pastors, maybe their mother, I don't know, but it's a mix of volunteers there now. Um, the picture you see there is taken just probably last month. Um, I assume we saw the other picture. I didn't notice it. it I, that's the only picture I got in the email. So ah, well, he, had other, he had other pictures of him before all the change, and he has another picture of him where he's actually giving the testimony, giving the message on a night. We had a night that all those little plastic bags that we collect out there. There's women that twist those up and make mats so that when it's raining or snowing, uh, somebody can take this mat out, lay it down on the water, and actually stay fairly dry. So uh, it's a picture of him the night that he received a mat. So it was cold. And he just dressed to live outside, probably smelled like he lived outside, uh, but he had this big bag full of this mat. But I was going to make the point, beside him is the plastic bag, that black plastic bag, that, that everything he had in life was there. Then this one came, and all of a sudden somebody else moved into his heart. And if you've not seen what that happens, when that spirit comes in and begins the house cleaning, it, it's just a, it's a day and night. I was hoping, I'm sorry that didn't come through. Yeah. You know, discerning of spirits is not just discerning evil spirits, it's also discerning God's spirit at work in somebody and us learning to respond to what God is doing in somebody else. One of, one of the best ways we have to support you in learning how to operate in these gifts and understand these gifts is the School of King and Ministry. And Ken and Judy were part of that last year. And, and what, did, what, did you, what did you think? It's a seven-month commitment? Yeah. Uh, and uh, what did you think? Well, originally four years ago, uh, we had thought about it. It was uh, interesting, but our schedule didn't allow that kind of commitment. Um, and then several years went by, and I, it didn't tickle my interest. But last year, when Sharon stood up, um, it was like, yes, I got to do this. It's time. Uh, I, I hope that as this thing unfolds, that 
he'll tickle your heart because it it really is an education for somebody who's been with the Lord for a while. Uh, maybe that's maybe you use all of the toolbox. Maybe you use one or two of the tools. But it really opens your eyes to what that gift gives you. How powerful the Spirit is on what He hands out. And believe it or not, I think if Jesus is in there, you've got the whole toolbox. But I had to pray for this particular gift for a very long time. And then all of a sudden it was there. I didn't even recognize it was there. I'm just using it. But, you know, it's um, well worth your time investment, well worth the financial investment. You're really just sowing seed into God's kingdom when you take that course. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. As we close the series, I just want to ask you to just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond? What's the Holy Spirit been inviting you in terms of response through this whole series? If he's been inviting you to deal with understanding how he's gifted you by design more, we have a calling class that starts in two weeks during the 915 service you can take. It's going to teach you more about how he's gifted you by design, give you some tools even maybe possibly as a parent to see how God's gifted your kids by a design and so you can parent them even more strategically. If you want to grow in understanding how God wants to gift you beyond your design and these power and these word gifts, then join School of Kingdom Ministry. And next week's, next week's preview would be a really good first step for you to do that. I also want to invite you, I mentioned this the very first message of the series. Go home, spend, spend the next month or so rereading the Gospels, the four eyewitness accounts of Jesus and the book of Acts. And every time you see one of the gifts that we talk about, we talked about in this series, I want you to highlight it especially these word and power gifts. If you see Jesus giving the gift of discernment, if you see him the gift of healing, if you see the gift of knowledge or prophecy, highlight it. Take time to think about it. Take time to examine it. Take time to ponder it. How did it make God's power and his presence more aware to people around him? What good did it do? You may also respond to this by considering attending the, uh, we have a conference by Ken Fish called Kingdom Now coming up the first weekend of October. Uh, Ken was a friend of John Wimber, the guy who founded the Vineyard Movement, traveled with him doing ministry for years, has continued to travel, uh, and he operates in these kinds of power and word gifts and trains people in it, so you could come and get more exposure there. And finally, Paul asks us in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit especially prophecy. Now think about that scripture. Notice the connector word is the word and, meaning to love fully is to allow these gifts to be a part of our lives so that God's love and his power impacts people, not just ours. And the Greek word there translated eagerly is the same word we use today called zealous. So how are you zealous? for the power and the presence of God in your life. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, I just pray a simple prayer. I pray that you would help us to zealously desire your presence and your power, including these gifts. 
Lord, that there would be no limits on how you could operate through us and how great your power and your presence and your glory could become through us in this world. To make yourself known, to make yourself power, powerful, to make yourself real and present in our lives and in the lives of those that we love, in the lives of those that we love that don't even know you, that through words we speak and through prayers we pray, that they would know you are there. You love them. And you have a great life planned for them. So Lord, as we worship, Lord, would you just come now in your spirit and would you distribute these gifts to us and would you help our hearts to constantly, eagerly, zealously desire your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.